0: Nick deals.
1: Base has to run field. Here comes Richardson.
0: and welcome to this very first Derek Jeter has retired edition of the Yes Men. I am Luda Petra to my left as always my co-host Doug Williams and it is day for us day two PDJ post Derek Jeter post Yankee season uh, ended on Sunday with a win 84 and 78 one game worse than 2013's iteration of the Yankees. Uh, and this week's show is going to be, uh, for the most part, as we promised, a post-mortem on what was the 2014 Yankees. And you have to start with Derek Jeter.
1: Yeah. Um, we have a lot to get to today. It's going to be a jam-packed show. Um, I think that uh, Derek Jeter retiring actually did the Yankees a big favor. And, um you know there are ways we'll get into this later but there are ways you can look at the season as a success and there are ways you can look at the season as not a success and a failure if you would like to call it that but um i think that generally Derek jeter dominating the month of september uh helped keep our minds off the fact that this season was a disappointment and um you know it, it really is one of those things that when you think about it it makes me when i think about it, it makes me really sad just because i'm a baseball fan i, I grew up a big time yankee fan and um, since I've been working at yes, uh, that has kind of that fan side has faded. You become more of a you know journalist, or you know, in my case, we make videos and articles, and you you are paying more attention for work than pleasure. But Derek Jeter retiring is a huge loss for baseball, and um, I know I, I can speak for myself and and you as well. We were at Yankee Stadium for his last game. Uh, the audio that you heard at the beginning of the um, the broadcast here on this podcast. Uh, we were there for that. It was one of the, maybe the best moment I've ever been, uh, at a sporting event to see in person. Um, and we were also in Boston. I was there Saturday and Sunday at Fenway Park, beautiful park. And, you know, the fans chanting Derek Jeter's name uh, was something that, you know, gave me the chills I never thought I'd see. And um,
0: I, t- I tweeted that uh, I've been a Yankee fan for 34 years, three months, and 15 days at that point, And it's the weirdest thing I've ever heard watching the Yankees. Right. Derek Jeter's name being chanted at Fenway Park by Red Sox and Yankees fans alike.
1: And you know why, Lou, it's a good way to start off a podcast about, you know, post-mortem on, on this Yankee season is because – you know, we talked a lot about the question marks going into the season for the Yankees, and Derek Jeter was one of them. And mm-hmm. you can say all you want about his war and and how poor he was defensively, and his you know batting average was unJeter-like, but you know he played. He played the whole season, 147
0: and games, I believe, was the final it, total.
1: It was you know really impressive. Mm-hmm. 40-year-old yeah. shortstops, there aren't many of them, and um, he played and. Yeah. Uh, the last time I, I tweeted this, if we're if we're talking about our tweets, uh, the last time I had been at Fenway Park before Saturday afternoon was uh, 2003 ALCS between the Red Sox and the Yankees, the game that Don Zimmer was thrown to the ground by Pedro. And when I was there, I remember being scared. It was a scary place mm-hmm. because the fans were angry. They hadn't won. And they hated Yankee fans, and they hated the Yankees. And if you can remember, the vibe couldn't have been more different. So I go into Fenway Park as a journalist expecting that vibe, and you get nothing against the Red Sox because it was a great weekend, and the fans were terrific, as was the organization. But it's a very different vibe.
0: Yeah, they've won three World Series championships since then, so they've mellowed out a little bit, perhaps. It's tough to play the underdog role when you've won three of the last ten. Yeah. It was a very surreal atmosphere. Uh, That's the first time in my life I've ever been inside Fenway Park, uh, to be honest. And it's uh, as a stadium, it's old, (laughs) but it reminded me a lot of a lot of the. I mean, it reminded me a lot of old Yankee Stadium, and it reminded me of one of the criticisms I have of the new Yankee Stadium: is that it feels too majestic. You you walk into Fenway Park, you're in a ballpark. It's kind of dirty. You can't see anything from the concourse. It's kind of like You go out, and the field looks majestic, and the monster is everything you think it is, and and so on and so forth. Whereas New Yankee Stadium kind of feels more like a cathedral at times, and the fans really made it feel that way a lot this year by not showing up in September, which was kind of disappointing, especially for Derek Jeter's farewell. There was a lot of games where there was a good 10,000 empty seats plus, which is a little disappointing. On the flip side of that, I've been to Yankee Stadium God, a hundred times as a journalist I've been there hundreds of times as a fan both the new and old if I've ever heard it louder in person the only time I can even kind of think of was the end of game five of the ALDS in 2012 when CeCe Sabathia threw a complete game to knock out the Orioles once and for all that's the only moment I think I've ever heard it louder than it was for Jeter's farewell and Mariano maybe second or third. Right, and Jeter's
1: uh, three thousandth hit. Uh, I wasn't there for that. I don't think you were either. No, I was. I, w- I turned it
0: on in the parking lot of a golf course, right until, <laughs> I, into into
1: here Sterling it. I think that that people talk about that as one of the you know the better moments at the new stadium. But you know, back to Jeter. Um, everybody who is under the age of I want to say thirty or thirty five has pretty much lived their life. Uh, with Derek Jeter as the shortstop for the New York Yankees,
0: I was I was a sophomore in high school when he came up, right. so I'm 34. So that there you go, yeah, you're right. right you're right in somewhere that range. in that in that range, and 30 ish. You know, I think that w- what Derek Jeter
1: symbolizes is a, a, an an entirely different era, um, and we'll get into Tom Verducci's article in SI. It's getting a lot of um, publicity just because of how terrific it is, and how he relates it to so many other things. The, the technology that Derek Jeter had when he first came in, into the league is shocking. He came two years after the first web browser. <laughs> there were no smartphones. There was no HDTV. I mean, those kind of things are really amazing when you think about how long that guy played. Because I don't know about you, but when I think back, at the year 2000 sounds recent. It's not.
0: It's not. It's 14 <laughs> years ago. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so when you think, like, oh, he started in 1995... <laughs> You're like, well, it's not that long ago. It is a long time ago, and it's a long time to play a sport, and it's a really long time to play with one team. And uh, being in Boston, one of the most amazing things was being able to talk to Red Sox fans on Yockey Way, and every single one of them said the same thing. Those fans care so much about baseball, the brand, because they pack Fenway Park because they love the sport. Yep. And they said – we care about baseball. We want this guy to represent baseball. It wasn't about the Red Sox. It wasn't about the Yankees. It was saying, we're losing an icon for the sport. Because those of us that hear on the radio talk shows about how baseball is dying and attendance is down and the ratings are down, blah, blah, blah. You you want people like Derek Jeter to keep the sport afloat like he has. Mm -hmm. And Red Sox fans really seemed like they were in tune with that sentiment.
0: Absolutely. And they have a couple of guys on their team who Represent that face of a franchise. I mean, whether you want to use Poppy or Pedroia, either one. I know Poppy wasn't a Red Sox originally. Pedroia, you know, was one of those guys that come up through the system like Jeter. But, um, you know, Andy Pettit wasn't a Yankee his whole career either. So, I mean, he's still considered, you know, in that pantheon. So we'll give Poppy that, that pass. They get it. They, you know, they get what it means to have a legend like that, you know you look at the the group of the Mike Trouts and the Bryce Harper's and the Kershaw's and those guys that are kind of, you know, the face of baseball. And and, and funny story about that is I was at the doctor's office yesterday and my doctor was talking, he was talking about watching Thursday night's game. And somebody, you know, one of his relatives said to him, um, you know, you went to see Sandy Koufax play. You went to see Mickey Mantle play. People now this season, especially went to see Derek Jeter play. Who's, who is that? That's the face of baseball. Who would you go to a Mets game as a Yankee fan because this guy's in town and he's hot? Mike Trout, Bryce Harper. Who would it be that you would go see in that situation? That's who's going to be the next Derek Jeter. Right. It's not. I mean, it's going to be one of those guys, Trout or Harper. But but it's not. You know, it could be anybody. Right. Depending on on who gets to that part,
1: and it's hard to, to, to word point, exactly what you mean. But it's a mixture between. Greatness, which Derek Jeter had a lot of. He wasn't the most talented player in the world. And also being an icon as big as the game itself. Yep. Exposure. There have been, right. And there have been great players during his career, better players than Derek Jeter. And he admitted as much on Thursday. That aren't the icon that he is. Right. And um, I think to answer your doctor's question, (laughs) your doctor's getting some pub on this uh, podcast, but to answer his question to me, Two guys, Puig and Clayton Kershaw, come to mind. Yep. Um, and, and Puig, it's funny because he's not as good as a, as a Mike Trout. But he's electric, and you never know what he's going to do. And yep. I think he's going to be huge for the sport. But he doesn't have that icon status that Derek Jeter had. And Clayton Kershaw, you know, he might be that next guy. He's a pitcher, so it's different. Yep. But um, there, are, there's just a lot of... A lot of deciding to do by baseball because they did him a favor, too. You know, baseball exposed him.
0: Yep. And, you know, it's the thing about it is, too, that Derek Jeter kept his nose clean for 20 years, Mm -hmm. so to speak. You know, in an era where heroes turn out to be false legends for a lot of people for various reasons, Derek Jeter never gave anyone reason to doubt his status. Right. And that counts for a lot. You know, they say don't meet your heroes because they'll often disappoint you. But he's one of those guys that has proven time and time again, as we've we've said time and time again on this podcast, has proven that that's not the case. And, you know, it's going to take a Harper or a Trout or a McCutcheon or a Kershaw. Puig has already had a few dust-ups, minor dust-ups, you know, in, in his short career. But it's going to take something like that. To Derek Jeter was never necessarily the best player on his own team every given year. Somebody hit more home runs, somebody drove in more runs. You know, a couple of times guys had equal or, or better batting averages. Bernie won the batting title one year. You know, Cano was right up there a few years ago. So he was never necessarily the best player on his own team in any one or two categories, but his image and the fact that he was always in the middle of everything transcended that.
1: McCutcheon could be that guy. Absolutely. I think a bigger market would help him, but he's he but he's But so he's a homegrown he's a homegrown
0: Pittsburgh guy. And you know, that's 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 what counts, too.
1: Now, do you mind if I read this quick Jeter excerpt from uh, Tom Verducci's I, I know you article? want to, and
0: it's a fantastic article, so you should.
1: Okay. Um, I go back to the night of October 26, 2000, the apex. It wasn't just the home run. Of course, he hit it against the Mets. Um, or that he had just become the first man to be named MVP of the All-Star Game and the World Series in the same year. I walked out of the park with Jeter that night, exiting uh, by the way of the warning track in left field and out of gate in center field dressed in a slick quick silver suit with a silk white t-shirt beneath he walked past new york city mayor rudy giuliani who was playing catch in the yankees bullpen and placido domingo who was in left field giddily shouting to jeter that he had called his home run and headed to a car to meet his date miss universe for a party at a manhattan nightclub that would run until 5 a.m in which people paid twelve thousand dollars to reserve a table in the inner sanctum near jeter he was 26 years old and already a four-time world champion. It was as dizzying as a Fellini movie, only real. Yet Jeter somehow stayed on balance. How could he do it? That night at the club, trying to shout above the music – by the way, picturing Tom, uh, Tom Verducci at a club with Derek Jeter is a fantastic image. I <laughs> Even loved 15 him. years ago, yeah. yeah. Um, trying to shout uh, above the music and into his ear, I told Jeter that I needed to, to arrange an interview with him. He told me he would call me in two days. He was going out to dinner with his parents the day after tomorrow and would call me at 8 p.m. after they were done. While driving home that night, I realized I made a terrible mistake. He had my number, but I didn't have his. My entire story, which now would be up against a deadline, hinged on an athlete remembering to call me two days after saying he would in the wee hours at a Manhattan nightclub. I sweated out two days, and then precisely at 8 p.m. on the second night, my phone rang. It was Derek Jeter. Dinner with mom and dad was great. Meet me at my apartment. Who does that? Who wins the World Series MVP, dates Miss Universe, eats dinner with his parents, remembers to call a reporter, and the first thing I noticed when I walked through his door was an ironing board, irons still at the ready, pressing his own clothes. This is who? Dot and Charles' son. So it's just like... That goes to show you the root of everything we say about Derek Jeter on and off the field goes back to the the way he was raised and the fact that with every decision that he made, he thought of his parents first, which is such a good thing. And that's why so many parents out there are like, "Why I want my kid to be just like him."
0: Yep. Hey, by the way, I'm the greatest baseball player in the world at this point in time. But you right. know what? I still iron my own clothes, and I went out to dinner with my mom and dad because I'm a good human being too. Yeah, that's pretty much what that says. Right.
1: It's you know, it's I'm gonna you know go out and have fun because that's what people my age do. But uh, you know, in two nights, I have dinner with my parents, and I'll call you. I right I still got
0: to get my thi- you know my stuff done. I still right. got to live my life.
1: Right. So I just thought that was interesting <clears throat> and. You know, it, it speaks to the the character that 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 man is, and and we're gonna miss him. Yep, definitely. And you know, him. now
0: that now that he's gone, you know, in the things that make you feel old department, I'm sure you're not there yet too much, considering you're much younger than I am. But Jeter is the first guy I can remember being on the radar my entire time knowing baseball. You know, obviously, I have memories of being six, seven, eight years old, and Don Mattingly and Dave Winfield in those late '80s Yankees, and I have memories of Bernie Williams coming up in the early '90s, and you know, being on that team forever and being a Yankee prospect. But in the time where you really get into things, when you're a teenager, kind of 12, 13, you sort of get into that. And Derek Jeter was drafted, and he was on the radar, and he came up, and then he came up in '96, and everyone knew who he was, and he was a shortstop in the Rookie of the Year. And now, 20 years later, he's retiring. He's the first guy that I can say, at least in my Yankees fandom, that I've seen that entire arc, and now it's come to an end. So that makes you feel a little... Old. Yeah, I know you what know? you mean. For you, you know, maybe you know could have been Cano, <laughs> I guess. You know, for lack of a better person to put in there, but you know, that's that's kind of how it uh, how it goes. Players come and go. You know. Yeah. Longevity is something you can't uh, you can't teach. Yep. Staying power. With that, we uh, we need to move into our post-mortem of the what went right, what went wrong of the 2014 Yankee season. And I'm going to borrow a quote from Joe Girardi Sunday morning when he said not much. The question he answered not much to is what's the difference between 84 wins and 88? 88 wins is what Oakland has, is what they'll carry into tonight's wildcard game against the KC Royals. 84 is what the Yankees finished with. Four games separated them from the playoffs. In the final 25 games of the season, the Yankees lost four times on walk-offs on the road. Say what you want about... Beltran was hurt all year, didn't live up to the back of his baseball card. McCann didn't necessarily live up to the back of his baseball card until a certain time. Teixeira definitely didn't live up to the back of his baseball card. Four-fifths of the rotation was gone for all or most of the year. Insert problem X, Y, and Z here. Four times in the last 25 games of the season, the Yankees lost walk-offs. So what do
1: you chalk that up to? You know, David Robertson or the offense not being able to put them in a good position?
0: You chalk that up to just how close, right. as much of a disaster as this season was in several facets, that's how close they, they were. F- a few innings away. Two of those walk-offs were against Baltimore, they had the lead going into the final inning. That's how close they were. And my point to get around to all that is, as much as everybody's been on the fire everyone train this year as we've talked about it, As much of a disaster as this season has been and as great of a job Joe Girardi did navigating it, you have to place some of the blame on him because in three of those games are prime examples of why people say the binder, the binder, the binder when it comes to Joe Girardi's managing decisions. One of those games in Baltimore, he leaves Adam Warren out there to die when he's got nothing because why? I don't know. Mr. Mix and Match, who Mix and Matched in a six-run game a few days later, didn't go to the left-hander. Or any left-hander in the bullpen against a slew of lefties in the Orioles lineup. Left Warren out there to die. He left Sean Kelly out there to die in Detroit one day. He mm-hmm. left him out there to die again. You know, he left David Robertson out there in his third day in a row to die. You have to place a little bit, at least, of the blame on Joe Girardi not pushing the right buttons in certain spots.
1: Yeah, and they lost that um, that game in the ninth inning where Betances had thrown four pitches. Mm-hmm. And he brought David Robertson in, who had already said, you know, he was losing some steam at was, the end of the year. That
0: was the third day in a row that he had pitched. That and, was that game.
1: And I, by the way, the point you make is such a good one. Uh, a lot of people want to make those grand kind of comments where it's like the Yankees offense underperformed. The money they spent last uh, last offseason didn't work. And while, yeah, you can make those points, the, the real point to be made here is we were really close. The Yankees yep. were really close. We were really co- close to covering playoff baseball. Yep. And uh, you can blame those bigger problems. You can look at the big picture that way. That's fine. But in reality, we were doing a JCTV a year ago, maybe this week, with Joe Girardi and Jack Curry. And he said, you know, we finished seven games out of a playoff spot. And I think that's a game a month we could have won and mm-hmm. gotten in. It's even closer this year. Yep. And With when,
0: even less wins than last year, right. they were still closer.
1: So, yeah, you can make the grand comments, but, you know... I think generally, I agree. I agree. I think that Joe Girardi can can be blamed uh, for a lot of what happened. Yeah. Now, can you blame Kevin Long? Can you blame Brian Cashman? Yeah, you can blame everybody. That's what happens with failure. Everyone's responsible. Right. But I think generally, for for as close as the Yankees got, he's both to blame and to thank.
0: Mm-hmm. So it's, it's tough. Right. And, you know, you can also say if to share a wasn't absolutely terrible as a cleanup hitter or if Carlos Beltran didn't get hurt and was in the lineup full time and could play right field and seven other different things you could say about Carlos Beltran season, maybe it wouldn't have come down to those four walk off losses. Maybe they would have won those four games going away handily or won games earlier in the year. You know, I remember the I, I went to two games as a fan this year, which is about what I do these days, because obviously we're there a lot more for work and it, it changes the way you watch a baseball game, as you said, alluded to earlier. The, the second one was uh, the Saturday game of the Toronto series that they lost at the end of the year, the one game they lost to Toronto in that series. The first one was in June where Tanaka and John Lester went head-to-head for nine innings, and Tanaka gave up a home run to David Ross in the ninth inning to give Boston a 2-1 win. It was Mike Napoli home run. Or Mike Napoli, I'm sorry. David Ross hit the other one earlier in the game. There you go. I mean... Had, had the Yankees' offense been executing, I know it's John Lester, but they could, have, could they have scored more than one run against John Lester? You know, that's a, a microcosm of how a lot of pitchers maybe felt this year they had to be almost perfect to keep the offense within striking distance.
1: Yeah, and I, I've done no statistical research on this fact, but it did seem like with a lineup that stayed remotely healthy for the whole season, Joe Girardi mixed and matched a lot. Mm -hmm. And maybe some consistency would have helped them. You know, you can't go on a long streak when the people getting you those streaks aren't in the lineup every day. If something works, go with it. And and I think Joe Girardi needs to get over the whole lefty-lefty thing. It drives him crazy when two lefties sit next to each other because he's thinking about that one moment in the eighth inning when they might bring in a lefty specialist.
0: And now let let me stop you right there real quick. I'm sorry to derail your point, but that that brings up a point I I had that I was going to make at some point. Jacoby Ellsbury and Brett Gardner are two of the better hitters in terms of what their job is in the league. If that's, you know, if you're worried about a lefty-lefty matchup and it's Raul Abanez and, I don't know, some other, you know, 35-year-old backup infielder left-handed hitter, yeah, you don't want to bunch those two guys together. But he never bunched together Gardner and Cano. I, I mean, you know, like in the time that Cano was here, he didn't like doing that. Right. They're supposed to – if these guys are as elite as they're supposed to be, you know, David well, Ortiz never had any trouble hitting off Mike Myers when he was here, uh, you know, kind of thing.
1: It's strange, Lou, because the Yankees hitters as a whole the last few years, the lefty hitters especially, have been really good at hitting lefties. Hey. Brian McCann hit better against lefties this year significantly by about 30 points. Mm-hmm. He hit under two ten against righties. Yep. Um, I think unless you're facing a lefty specialist like Andrew Miller who's going to strike out lefties and righties – you don't need to worry about it. It no. just looks bad on paper, and I think a lot of the decisions that Joe Girardi makes are for his own conscience. So when he takes Delon Batanzas out after four pitches and one-third of an inning, it's because he knows that the next night, if he threw him for an inning and a third, he would sit him because it's like, oh, God, he pitched more than one inning. I can't possibly pitch him back-to-back nights. And it's like, Joe, let's look more at the facts, yeah. If, if he throws an inning in a third and throws sixteen pitches, you can throw him again the next night. If you put Gardner and Ellsbury back to back and it works and you don 't face a lefty specialist, you can do it again mm-hmm. and I think that
0: but uh, then the next time, if Andrew Miller comes in and strikes out Gardner and gets Ellsbury to pop out on five pitches, you can still do it again right, the next day right that 's where i, I think that 's where I think some of the culpability lies is that Jordy is a very by-the-book manager, and that's fine. But when he goes with his gut, it almost always seems to backfire on him. And then that's the excuse for never going with his gut.
1: Yeah. Which so doesn't he, work. Right. It's – it's. I mean it's not a not an easy job. Nope. But, I wouldn't uh, want it. Yeah. And I think that um, as a whole, one of the main like grand questions that we had asked each other as a preview for this episode was, you know, do you think – this season is a failure, given the fact that they spent five hundred million dollars. Or do you think it's a success, given that Ivan Nova and Masahiro Tanaka and C.C. Sabathia were all out for extended periods of time? And there's different ways to look at it. But are are, are you leaning in a significant direction? And if so, why? I
0: am. I'll let you answer that question first, though, if you, if you want. <laughs> I why, am leaning. Isn't, in a, you're going to use the rest well, of the then, show for your answer. No, because then I can either tell you why I agree with you or tell you why I disagree. So I don't want to. I know what my opinion is. It's not going to change.
1: I mean, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that our opinions are going to be the same. I mean, I, I understand both trains of thought, but I think it's a failure only because their pitching ended up being okay. And we've talked. We talked about this all season. Mm -hmm. You know, if if four-fifths of the rotation had been out and their pitching had been terrible, Joe Girardi would have had a great excuse. Look, we got injuries. But, you know, Brandon McCarthy, Brian McCashman made a great deal to go get him. And Hiroki Kuroda pitched great. And Michael Pineda came back eventually and pitched great. And, you know, Chris Capuano stepped in, did an okay job. I mean, they had guy after guy step up and, and do their job in the rotation. It was the lineup that just didn't work. And, you know, I I look at it as a team that if they had performed to the back of their baseball card, like you mentioned earlier, they should have been better. Uh, And I think that uh, I wrote an article for YesNetwork.com today about how there were bright spots. There are bright spots. There are bright spots on any team in baseball. But generally, I look at this season as we were prepared as Yes Network employees, as Yankee fans for a much longer season into October than we got this year.
0: Uh, you are right. Our opinions are exactly the same. I'll, I'll sum it up in a little bit quicker of a, of a synopsis. It's a failure because every panic move, for lack of a way, better way to put it, that Brian Cashman made during the season went right. But the grand plan went wrong. Yeah, That's why it's a failure. Like you said, Headley was a great acquisition. Prado was a great acquisition and will be for the next two years. McCarthy was fantastic. Shane Green came up and did a great job. You know, Jose Perella came up and did a great job at the end of the year. Just guys upon guys upon guys that weren't part of the plan or weren't even on the team came in and did their yeoman job. Ichiro, who was supposed to be the fifth outfielder, you know, came in and, and did a yeoman's job. But that said, all that happened because the grand plan went wrong and all the people they spent all the money on failed. Right. And That's I, it. That's why it's a failure.
1: And I know we agree in the, uh, with about this also, but. The problem with the Yankees is that each person in their role, significantly, especially the three and four hitters, were not meant for that role and and did not play to the role. Carlos Beltran was your three-hitter going into the year. He got hurt. Say what you will. Maybe he'll be better next year, but he's not a three-hitter, and he wasn't all year. And Mark Teixeira, that was the Yankees' issue going in. None of us realized it. I didn't realize it. Yep. But – Mark Deschera is Mark Deschera. He's a 25-home a run, 220-hitting, great defensive first baseman. He's a number six
0: or seven right. hitter in a good lineup. In a good lineup, he's a six. Unfortunately.
1: And when you're a team that's counting on him to be your cleanup hitter and you don't have a natural number three like Robinson Cano would have been hitting in front of him, it's going to be tough. Now, if Carlos Beltran gets his uh, elbow fixed and is a 285-25-90 hitter, he is your three-hitter. He is your three-hitter, and he's a good three-hitter. He was the three-hitter on a Cardinals team that made it to the World Series in 2013. But what exactly are you going to do at the four-hole? Unless you acquire somebody. Brian McCann's never hit over 30 home runs, or 30 in general. Nope. Uh, Mark Deshera is clearly not that hitter anymore. Um, and I don't—I mean, maybe I do, maybe I don't. depends on what you want to do. But segueing into next year, in this offseason, and what the Yankees should do— the key problem is the lineup. Every, every offseason you can make the argument that they need to do something at starting pitching, but the Yankees have a lot of starting pitching options, and if they have the inside track at Brandon McCarthy, they can fill out a rotation. Mm-hmm. The problem to me is that there aren't a ton of, of open holes. There are just holes that are tech, are, are filled with right. a substance that's not going to do the job.
0: Here's my thoughts on this. If Carlos Beltran is healthy, your outfield hits one, two, three next year. Right. Gardner, Gardner, Ellsbury, and Beltran. Actually, I should say Ellsbury, Gardner, and Beltran because Ellsbury seems better suited to be a leadoff hitter. Gardner is a great base stealer, but he doesn't run.
1: I, like, I don't I think he's I don't, just a really fast guy.
0: Yeah, I, I just I don't understand what happened there. So I think Ellsbury is better suited to be your leadoff hitter. He hit third because he was thought based off that one season to have more power, better, you know, be a better suited three hitter. And Brett Gardner really ended up being the better suited three right. hitter. But hitting those two guys one, two, and Beltran third is your thing. Your cleanup hitter next year is Brian McCann. Look, yeah, he didn't hit as well as he has. But he's hit cleanup before in Atlanta, earlier in his career. I know, I'll, I'll be it. But he's hit cleanup before. He hit, look, three home runs on the road. So everybody that was like, oh, McCann should hit 30 home runs in Yankee Stadium, this, that, the other thing. He did half of that job. If he had hit anything on the road... And the Yankees played a lot of road games in the first half, which is when he really struggled, getting to learn the new staff, the new league, adjustments. I don't think it's going to be the same next year. I think Brian McCann will hit 30 home runs next year now that he's comfortable. you know, When he was struggling to get adjusted, the Yankees played a lot of games on the road. Had they played a lot of games at home in the first half, he might have had a little bit more confidence. He might have been hitting them out. Who knows what would have happened. I think he's your cleanup hitter. And I think, unfortunately... Tex and Arod have to fall somewhere in five, six, seven, depending on where Martin Prado is in the lineup on any given day and or depending on who they sign to fill the couple of actual holes that they have. Like shortstop. Like shortstop. Now I have in front of me here my plan, because you know I'm a <laughs> planner. Um, you have six guys between Gardner, Elsberry, Beltran, to A-Rod, and McCann. Brandon uh, Ryan is under contract and Prado's under contract, and you know you're backup catcher is going to be one of the multitude of guys they have on the roster. They're not going to go out and need to find a backup catcher. And even if they did, it's negligible leaves four spots on the 13 man position player side. Do you go out and sign a corner infielder, someone to fill the Eric Chavez role? Can you afford chase Headley to do that? You know, a rod, he already even said he's got to prove physically he can do it. You know, a rod's going to DH 50 times next year. He's going to have to. After a year, almost two full years off, at 40 years old, God only knows what he's going to be able to do offensively. The, the PED thing, hanging over the head, who knows. Mark Teixeira is a gold-glove first baseman, but if you need to DH him 25, 30 times to keep him healthy enough to be a gold-glove first baseman, you're going to need to put him there. And Carlos Beltran, as great of a player as he is, is 38 years old. He's going to need a handful of days. The Yankees, this is not a team the way it's built right now. That can afford a full-time DH, so that's going to have to be rotated. You know, if you can rotate 90 games between A-Rod, Tex, and Beltran, and cover the other 70 with somebody, you know, give Gardner a day off, Ellsbury a day off, McCann a day off, if you have the flexibility. So it's going to be interesting. Do you, do you, you need a backup first baseman because the Yankees proved this year that in playing Kelly Johnson, Brian McCann, Francisco Cervelli, and six other guys who had never played first base before as their backup first baseman, you need – Tex needs a caddy, unfortunately. Right. At this point in his career, Tex needs a caddy.
1: I would say to you – I'll let you continue in a second. I would say to you that it was a shoe in that they re signed Headley, but I thought they were going to re-sign Mark Reynolds. And these guys that keep doing good jobs for them, who they acquire sure. at the deadline, for some reason, the Yankees just look to not spend the money on a, on a secondary complementary player and instead look for somebody in-house. Right. I totally agree. I think – If they haven't learned their lesson that they need a backup first baseman, they're out of their minds. Mm -hmm. But Chase Hedley did everything you'd want in a guy you want to bring back. He's a handcuff for Alex Rodriguez, who has about as many question marks as any player in baseball has ever had.
0: He's the wildest card in deck full of wild cards. Exactly. And um, Chase Hedley would make perfect sense. Can you afford him is the question. They've got $170 million tied up in nine guys and Brendan Ryan, ten guys. And he made ten and a half this year on his last year arbitration so I mean what's he you know what's he going to cost the other question is going to be how they view Martin Prado we've heard on and on and we've mentioned on and on about Rob Refsnyder Snyder this year is he ready are they ready to have him ready do you just bring him up like you did with Jeter and just say all right he's our second baseman because you know what that's that's our option he's cheap he's going to cost us five hundred thousand dollars blah 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 Or do you slide Prado in? Do you figure Prado is going to play third base the majority of the time? Is Prado your fourth outfielder by default? Because when he's not playing third or second, he can go out there. How they view him is going to – it's almost futile to say here's what they need to do. Because how they view him is going to – and how they view ref Snyder is going to go a lot into it. I think they
1: would want – if they had a choice, they would probably want to have him be that rover. Right. That's the safer decision to say Martin can play any position on any night. But all nine of these spots, with him included, are mm-hmm. full. Right.
0: With that in mind, there's two plans that I think are are the way they will go. If Prado is your second baseman, what they need is, like I said, someone who can back up both corners. They really need a right-handed hitting fourth outfielder with a little bit of pop. Prado, Chris Young. Prado can be that. Yeah, Chris Young. Prado can be that if he's the guy. Uh, you know, Scott Harrison hasn't done anything in Washington this year because they never use him, but he's a guy that would have fit that mold a couple years ago. Michael Kadier is a free agent. He hit, three what, 330, won the batting title in Colorado last year. I know it's Colorado, but you know at 36 or whatever he is, he's the kind of guy that you can sign on one of those deals to be basically what Nick Swisher sort of was supposed to be in 2009. You can play a little first base, too. Yep, play a little first base. That frees you up to say, do I want to go out and get a third baseman that's a third baseman? Like, somebody like a Kiaspo or, you know, somebody like that, do you go all in on Pablo Sandoval, who's a free agent? Do you say, all right, Bichette really isn't proven yet. Jigailo's a few years away. Can we get Pablo Sandoval on on some some end of a shorter long-term deal? Or do you maybe go sign Mark Reynolds, like you said, who's a free agent after hitting 30 home runs for the Brewers? That's going to be the question. How they, Chris Young would be, on the surface, a great bring back as well. Beware of what you see in April and September, but he seemed he seemed to be a lot more energized right. playing for the Yankees in a pennant race than he did at any point playing for but the Yankees. But at
1: least, at least he would know what the, what was expected out of him. Right. Hit lefties every once in a while, come in as a defensive replacement, but he's much more talented than most – like yeah. a Scott Harrison. He can he, do a lot more. He's
0: much more talented also in that if something goes haywire, you don't have to bring in Jan Hervis Solarte to play third base. Right. As you, that was the problem a lot more in 2013 than last year because you know there were injuries and inconsistency in the offense, but there were better parts in place. But when 37 different guys started a game at third base last uh, last year, 2013. Now I can't say last year because this year's over. You know, there was a little bit better depth this year, so that would be he's a guy that can capably fill in a lot better than oh we're going to bring up Zoilo and, and roll the dice. I think Kadir.
1: I love Michael Kedire. I think he's a great hitter, and yep. I know he's a good clubhouse guy. He is very injury-prone, and they may be kind of look at a guy who's, what, 36, yep. was out for the majority of last year, and say, eh, we're going to get so much flack if, if we're yep. just injury-prone again. And
0: There's a handful of guys in that vein that are a little bit better veterans, too. Uh, Ryan Domit from the Twins, I know he's injury-prone, too, but he can also catch a little bit, play first base, play the outfield. That gives you the flexibility to make McCann your DH on a day while... If, something happens to Cervelli or Romine or Murphy, whoever the backup catcher is, throw it back there for a few innings. Um, Tory Hunter, I know he's 40, but he's a free agent. I mean, you know, who knows what he's going to do. Uh, Corey Hart, again, in Seattle. You know, same thing. He had a down year in Seattle. Maybe you take a flyer on him. A lot of these guys like that, that Cashman has taken flyers on, the Chavez's and Abanias of the world, Andrew Jones, have worked out for one season. So it's kind of going to be an interesting dynamic depending on where they go there. The other thing they're going to need to do is, obviously, you need to fill the hole at shortstop. My personal take on it is that as much as you say replacing Derek Jeter is not going to be hard, and as much as you can point to David Robertson having replaced Derek Jeter, or Mariano Rivera, Robertson was here. Robertson knew. Robertson saw. Robertson did. Brendan Ryan's been here for a year and a half now. He's not the best hitter in the world. He's a lot closer to the worst hitter in the world, to be honest. He's a vacuum at shortstop, and if you're playing an infield where you may have either a rookie second baseman and a limited A-Rod or Prado playing multiple positions, sort of kind of flopping around, a defensive presence could be helpful for one year. But you why? Know? And, and and if everybody on the offensive side lives up to the back of their baseball card, can you live with Brendan Ryan if he hits 240 with three home runs in 120 games? Because that's what Derek Jeter did.
1: This I know, year. but they couldn't even live with that. And Brandon Ryan can't even hit two hundred.
0: So how his how? last time his last season as full time regular hit two thirty three. Okay, well, so he's he's a two thirty hitter. But again, if Beltran hits two eighty with thirty home runs, if McCann hits two fifty with thirty home runs, if Teixeira doesn't spend any time on the interstate with thirty home runs. If they have a guy like Headley who comes in and, and rotates around those positions, if Prado shows what he showed in the last couple months and hits 280 with 15, 20 home runs in there, if you have a team full of guys like that, like the 96 through 2001 Yankees were, where they had a lot of guys who hit 25, 30 home runs and drove in 80 to 100 runs and hit 280, yep. you can live with a 230 hitting defensive Maven at shortstop if that's the best option. And we just got an email update. Earlier today at New York Presbyterian Hospital, Carlos Beltran underwent surgery to remove loose bone pieces and a bone spur from his right elbow. Dr. Ahmad performed the surgery. It went well. He can begin throwing and hitting in six weeks and playing in approximately 12 weeks. So there you go. They wasted no time on that one. Should have happened a week ago if you ask anybody, but...
1: I, I, I agree. Point with, being,
0: you can live. You can live with, with Brendan Ryan. Saying. And again, if you look at Derek Jeter's numbers this year, he hit 250 with four home runs. But I would say
1: I would say the same thing. Uh, you know, I know Brendan Ryan's under contract, but Stephen Drew was here. Stephen Drew might have more offensive capabilities. Steven, they, but they both can't hit 200. Stephen Drew the way. did
0: nothing. Is the problem though. And I know? You but can't... he's
1: as good defensively and has much more uh, in terms of the past in terms of offense. But how do you sell that?
0: That's, see that's the thing. How do you sell that? Like, well, he wasn't really. He was. Re- remember, he was replaced a little bit last year in Boston with Bogarts until they moved him to third base, right. and then they they re-signed him after a while, and it took him a bit to get going because he missed you know spring training in the first two months, and then they got rid of him for Kelly Johnson. The
1: thing that bothers me about kind of the the what's been happening of late is that the, Brian Cashman does make really good moves at the deadline, and it, they fill a lot of holes. I wish that in the off season, those holes were, were filled. Mm-hmm. See, I, I'm with you, I, and I, I think at the end of the day I would agree with you that Brendan Ryan is fine. Just let him play. He's a vacuum. Let other guys hit. Mm-hmm. Don't spend a ton of money on J.J. J. Hardy. I don't think Yankees should sign J.J. J. Hardy or John Lester or Max Scherzer. Don't spend that money because guess what? You have a rotation full of guys, assuming everybody's healthy, that's going to be fine. Um, and don't go out and spend a ton of money on these free agents because we've done that in the past, and it doesn't necessarily lead to winning. Keeping a guy who's been here and and been in pinstripes and knows what it takes maybe has an extra year of motivation. You know, I understand that we all as fans want our team to win, and we – feel every win and we feel every loss. Mm-hmm. But when you're making as much money as these free agents are these days, you have to wonder if there's a sense of complacency. And I do think that the Yankees could benefit from signing a guy like uh Corey Hart because he's a free agent, yes, and he's going to make money, but he's a guy who w- still has something to prove. Yep. These guys that reach their free agent year and finally are like I'm going to get paid. Those are the guys that I worry about in terms of motivation. JJ J. Hardy comes in; he's made his money for the next five years. He's not necessarily worried about going out there and proving something. Yep. Same thing with Max Scherzer. Same thing with John Lester. These guys have been working for their money, and once they get it, you're telling me that there's not a sense of complacency. So I think you go through an off season where you make those smaller moves. You make sure that every technical hole is full. Mm-hmm. And then you, then you move forward. You don't need I any agree. big splashes.
0: And there's there's enough guys out there. I mean, you could you could go out and sign as Rubel Cabrera, who's been playing second base for the Nationals. He's a shortstop by trade. You could say, which one do you want? You know, if Ref Snyder comes in, if you sign him, Ref Snyder comes in, hits 400 in spring training, looks great at second base. You say, all right, well, you know what? A cab, you're a shortstop. Ref Snyder's a second baseman. Prado gets pushed into that utility role. Everybody moves back a spot. You could sign a guy like Hanley, who's also injury-prone, but Joe Girardi knows him from Miami from when he managed the Marlins. Maybe he slides in the third base a little bit. You know, defensive. <laughs> the defensive changes late in the game. He slides to third. Ryan comes in. You know, there's a lot of flexibility you can move. I agree with you that with all that money committed to those ten guys, don't go out and sign a bunch of these guys. When it comes to the rotation, you've got Tanaka, assuming he's healthy, Pineda, who looked fantastic this year for the majority, is gonna be back. Is he anything more than a back ending back end innings eater at this point? No. But that's fine. But that's fine. You have two spots there. Novo will be back at some point in the middle of the season. Shane Green. I think you sign I think you re sign McCarthy, first I of all, did because too. he pitched very well. And I think you go out and sign one of the Jason Hamill, Aaron Harang, Kyle Kendrick, one of those younger veterans who you can get on a short term deal, who's hungry to prove they deserve a bigger deal in their next one. And then you also go out and you re-sign a guy like a Capuano or somebody in that vein who's kind of a six-swing starter. That gives you six guys plus Shane Green. Plus David Phelps. Plus David Phelps, who proved he can pitch and probably should be in the rotation or in somebody's rotation. And that gives you five guys plus a couple of fallbacks. The Capuano or Phelps type is your long man swing man. And you've got options. Green has two more options to go down to the minors. So if he's the odd man out like Nova was a couple years ago when he got sent down to the minors, he's the odd man out. He knows he'll be back. He's, he's proven he belongs. He knows he'll be back. And it's time. But you need that depth. This year proved more than anything. You need that depth. And it's time
1: to not worry about the big names. I mean, this is just me preaching to Yankee fans that I hear from on Twitter and everything I hear in the media. People are going to look at that rotation next year if they don't make those big signings and say, you know, this is a weak rotation. Why? Yeah. Because those exact guys, if they re-sign everybody and they get CC Sabathia and Ivan Nova back at some point, that's a bolstered rotation from one that was already good in 2014. So yep. you don't need that
0: big headline name. It was a weak rotation when it was David Phelps, Brandon McCarthy, Shane Green, and Chris Capuano, too. And you know what they did? They won 35 games out of the last 60.
1: Right. So,
0: I, I mean, you know, what do you want? Right. That's, what do you want out of it? You know? Mm-hmm. So... That obviously, we, like we said, pitching was the biggest disaster, and that was the smallest problem. The bullpen is a whole other thing because do you resign David Robertson? There's really not a lot of great elite relievers out there, and as much as you don't overpay for a closer, and as much as Soriano losing his job in Washington and Steve Kierschek leading the National League in saves uh, proves that, you know, you need Joe Girardi would love to have that back end. You got Potanzis back, you got Warren back. Kelly's in his last arbitration year. You figure he's going to be back for one more round, even though he sort of struggled at various points, especially at the end of the year. If you re-sign D. Rob, you re-sign you know David Huff is arbitration eligible. You keep him around as your lefty. Then you go with a couple young guys. There's not a lot out there. Andrew Bailey may be in the mix next year. That will sort itself out. Maybe you re-sign David Robertson. Wait on Betances as a closer. That that will sort itself out. The pitching. You don't go out and make that big splash, like you said, because the pitching wasn't the problem. But I don't think you make that big splash. You don't just go out and get, well, well, damn it, we got to go get Sandoval or we got to go get, you know, Victor Martinez to because he hit three hundred and we'll plug him in somewhere. Like you just can't do that, right? Like this offseason, L- you have to. They
1: have to listen and look. Brian Cashman's a professional and he knows this stuff, but. I get the sense from fans that they always want the big, flashy free agent, and I've been guilty of that in the past. But look at what worked last year and look at what didn't. And and what worked this year was everything pitching, their yep. bullpen, the back end especially, was really great. Let's make sure that uh, this lineup is solidified using what you already have to its absolute – the highest potential that you can get out of it. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, they're stuck with some guys. Yep, But – there are holes to fill, fill them, and then add some additional pieces. Yeah. Don't don't go crazy. All these guys are in a lot of the, a lot of them are their second year of their contracts. We'll see how it goes. Now I know we uh, we have some uh, preseason picks. You know
0: Yeah, I was going to say one last point on that for Yankee fans who are gonna be like, oh, it's going to be th- th- you know what? There's a lot of great prospects on the way. Greg Bird looks very good down in the farm. Aaron Judge looks like he's going to be a stud. Yeah, these guys are under contract, like the Teixeiras and Beltrans and Arods for a few more years. Wait it out. And five years from now, it could look like 1996 all over again. You never know. I mean, it could look like 1986 all over again too, but wait it out. Yeah, we do have some preseason predictions. Uh, the playoffs start today with KC Oakland, Pittsburgh-San Fran tomorrow in the wild card game. We're taping this on Tuesday, a little early just because baseball's over. Um, Doug and I were very, uh, very smart in some regards and very not smart in others.
1: We gotta speed through this. We're long. We
0: do. We do, and, and we can speed through the NFL real quick too, just to just get through it. Um, we both predicted the Tigers to win the AL Central. Good job by us. We both predicted the A's to win the AL West, which they finished second and made the wild card. Okay. We, I picked the Yankees. Doug picked the Red Sox to win the East. Whoops. Uh, I had the Red Sox and Rays in my wild card. He had the Yankees and Rangers. Whoops. Whoops. <laughs> uh, the National League a lot better. He had the Nats. I had the Braves. We both had the Cardinals. Both had the Dodgers. Uh, I had the Pirates and Nationals in the playoffs. He had the Giants and the Braves in the playoffs as a wild card. So we got four out of five, and the Braves screwed us both. Thanks, Atlanta. Good job. Yep. Way to go. Um, what a
1: disaster that team has been. They yeah. continue.
0: So now, obviously, our picks of uh, the World Series. I have cards over Tigers. Doug has Dodgers over Tigers. We're still good. We're still good. Uh, I'm going to amend that a little bit. I, uh, I don't think the Cardinals are going to make the World Series. I think the Tigers have a shot. But I think it's going to be Washington and the Angels. Uh, the Angels are the most complete team. I think Baltimore will give them a tough time, but I think Detroit actually their pitching will shut down Baltimore. To be honest, without some without Davis, without Machado, without Weeters, I don't know if Baltimore can handle it. So I think it's going to be the Angels over Detroit and Nationals over the Dodgers in the LCSs.
1: Yeah, uh, I pitched. I, I picked Dodgers over Tigers. Um, I'm still tempted to go with that, but I think. I actually think it'll be uh, Nationals over Tigers, if I had to predict. Um, I think the Tigers will get out of the, uh, the AL um, because I think they have the best starting pitching. And I think their yeah. offense will score enough runs. Um, the Washington Nationals are such a complete team. I mean, they they're an unbelievably good team all around the ball and um, sometimes you you get disappointed with, like, a five-game series because you don't even see. It's like, I know the Nationals are the most complete team, but they could get unlucky a few times and out.
0: Oh, yep. Boom. And, you know, the Dodgers, the thing about them is they're a very complete team too. The thing I worry about is their pitching is – I'll get into this in a few minutes when we go over our awards, but outside of Clayton Kershaw, they're beatable. And when they're not as deep, who knows how Rue's going to feel, um, you know – the back end of the rotation has been a mess for the last couple months. I just feel like the Nationals, if they put it together, can do. But I wouldn't be surprised if the Dodgers make the World Series either, if everything comes together for them. So gonna be, right. it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun.
1: I look at the Dodgers and Tigers as two teams who have had the talent for a few years now. Yeah, and it's like finally time for one of them. Maybe well, not. The but, Tigers
0: have been there. They've been to the playoffs a few years in a row. They're, right. <laughs> yeah, they've been to the World Series, so they're due. I guess we could say that. Uh, real quick, we picked our. Uh, David six Price, awards, by the way, on the Tigers changes things from when we made this prediction. Oh, absolutely! And Annibal <laughs> Sanchez in the bullpen playing that possible Mariano <laughs> Rivera role. I mean, who knows? We picked our six awards. Uh, so what we'll do is I'll tell you who we picked. Some then, of these are just, and we'll say who we picked.
1: Now I don't even want to be like labeled next to some of these um, suggestions.
0: AL MVP. Doug had Evan Longoria. I had Mike Trout because I went the safe route. I'm sticking with Trout. I'm guessing you're thinking Trout is probably the MVP as well. Uh, v Mart's got a very good case on a team I that think has Cabrera.
1: Trout will probably get it. Um, Lifetime Evan Longoria, I, I've seen so many guys make the same mistake I did this year with Evan Longoria because he's got that potential. I thought if the Rays made a playoff run, he, he would be the, because he's the only bat in that lineup. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I was wrong.
0: Uh, AL Cy Young, we both picked two guys who ended up on the Tigers. Uh, you have Verlander, I had David Price. Uh, I think Price has a better case than Verlander, and that's by saying he has a slim chance and Verlander has none.
1: Yeah, uh, David Price has n- – well, they, neither of them has any chance.
0: No, but Price only Verlander because he's up there somehow, in innings and strikeouts. I've
1: been embarrassed by this pick all year, and then I just looked at his numbers yesterday. Fifteen wins in a 4-5 or ERA. Right? That's not terrible.
0: And, and and they're the one in three starters on a playoff team, and neither one of them was the best starter on that team. So right. uh, I'm going with Corey Kluber for Cy Young now. I think he's 18 wins. It's 244 ERAs, third best in the league behind, I think, Felix and Sale. You know, he's up there in strikeouts, up there in whip, all those categories. Scherzer had a great year. Felix had a good year minus the wins, which he won the Cy Young with no wins once anyway. Chris Sale, I don't think, pitched enough to win it, and Lester... I mean, he's got a case, too. But I, I think...
1: No, I think the clubs. I, th- I agree with you. I think he's, he's the only got, one on
0: that team that, that wasn't... He's got
1: a complete stat line.
0: And he wasn't pitching for... He was the only one that wasn't pitching for anything in the end. I mean, Cleveland stuck around, but no one expected them to be as great as they were. The Klub's. Uh AL Rookie of the Year. You had Tanaka, I had Abreu. I think is going to win it hands down, but had he been healthy all year, I think either one of us would have had a very good pick there. Yeah. What do you think? Abreu?
1: Yeah, I think Abreu wins it. It's so funny. If Masihiro Tanaka had come in the middle of August, I think he would have won it. Yeah. He would have been like what, uh seventeen and five and six, maybe, seventeen and seven, maybe sixteen. Yep. He was thirteen and five and he and he missed such a long
0: period of time. He had that thing won. But give him those twelve starts, he's got a good chance of winning half of them. Right. Yeah. So twenty win guy. Yeah, I think there.
1: Abreu Abreu has just impressed every single person that's ever you know been around him. He's impressed the media. He's impressed his teammates. He looks like a real the real <laughs> yeah. stud.
0: Three seventeen thirty six one oh seven best among AL rookies in OBP, slugging OPS, walks, hits, doubles, runs. I mean he yeah he's, he's got the it. guy uh, NL MVP. Um, we should probably both never pick this category again for picking Hanley Ramirez and David Wright.
1: I. I understand I remember your justification for David Wright, and I really honestly still think that mine was a good pick, even though it's clearly a terrible pick. but in my head I'm like, contract year, supreme talent on a lineup where you you have to pitch carefully to everybody. Hanley Ramirez made so much
0: sense. Nothing, nothing.
1: He's one of he's actually a little bit like Evan Longoria. It's like just yep. so much talent has never really put it together.
0: I picked David Wright for the same reason, thinking if Granderson gave him a guy to protect him, if Duda came into his own, and Darno was I as can't good as advertised. You like,
1: anyone in City Field to I know, win the MVP? Uh,
0: never again. Uh, for the NL Cy Young, you picked Steven Strasburg, who is probably the third best pitcher on his team, and that's saying uh, something because he had a great season. Uh, yeah, and Ad, I picked Adam Wainwright, who's going to finish second,
1: second or third with Cueto.
0: Yeah. Um, I think Clayton Kershaw is winning them both. I, I know people don't like to see pitchers win MVPs. Verlander did it a couple years ago. Clayton Kershaw deserves it just based on the sole fact that you look at at what they did. I mean, the Dodgers were ninety four and sixty eight, and in the games he didn't start, they were seventy one and sixty four. He was twenty one and three and they were twenty two and five in his twenty seven starts. Yeah. He gave them a chance to win. He threw twenty four quality starts and two of the ones he didn't throw, one of them was a rain shortened game where he was holding Colorado almost hostage. The and the other one was a game same thing. In September where they were beating the Cubs by ten runs, he was at a hundred pitches. There was no need to keep running him out there.
1: I think a lot of times records where guys are five and twelve don't matter as much as 21-3 and because the stat that you just mentioned, not only do they win the games like he gets the win, they win the games that he pitches. Even if he gets the no decision, he puts them in a position to win. So I, you know what, I'm back and forth. I, I, You know, I I agree with the people that say it needs to be an everyday player. They go out there every day. Clayton Kershaw could drink ten beers four days out of five every night and he'd be fine. And I understand that, but... Really, you know, you look at the Dodgers team and they do have talent. It's not like their offense is, is you know, necessarily bad. But when he's not on the mound, it's tough. It's different. It's a different team. And but that's
0: a team with Zach Greinke and a pretty decent 3-4 and in Ryu and right. Dan Heron and – they had Beckett and Mahalem and Roberto Hernandez and various guys. I mean, they had a good pitching staff.
1: I think that it'll be close, but I think he, I think Clayton Kershaw will win. I think McCutcheon will finish in second. If McCutcheon hadn't won last year, I don't know yeah. why I think it's relevant, but I think he would finally get his turn this year because somehow we get swayed by that. It's like yeah. He's had back-to-back-to-back years where he's been in that conversation. I think this is the year that he makes it.
0: Had John Carlos Stanton been able to play the last couple weeks, he probably would have added to his pretty impressive totals to kind of make yeah. it a three-way race, too. But like I said, I mean, the Dodgers were barely above 500 when Kershaw wasn't on the mound. And in a season where he had a handful less starts than the guys going for the Cy, like the Wayne Wrights and, and the Cuetos, he had a one hundred seventy seven ERA, which was better than last year when he won the Cy Young Award. By the way, Michael Pineda didn't qualify.
1: He had the second-best ERA, if he had qualified. If he had qualified. He was yes, the second-most dominant pitcher in baseball, Michael Pineda. To Clayton Kershaw,
0: Kershaw number three in strikeouts, number two in batting average ends point eight six whip, one seventy seven ERA. I mean, those five starts are almost negligible at this point. Even if he had five very league average starts, he's still got a two ERA and blows away the competition in all the rest of those categories. He's he is the MVP to me. Uh, last category is rookie of the year in the NL. You pick Billy Hamilton. I pick Colton Wong.
1: I think my guy's going to finish in second.
0: I. Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. Um, Colton Wong, I mean, he's got okay numbers. There's really nobody that had a blowaway season in the National League, except for the guy I think is going to win, and that's Jacob DeGrom. Yeah, he's going to win. It. I mean, you look at how he came out of nowhere and had a 269 ERA and pitched 150, 60 innings in the majors. I mean, that's a guy that made a difference. Billy Hamilton... You know, he stole a lot of bases, but he hit, what, like 230? I mean... His on-base percentage was terrible. Yeah, 292 on-base percentage. Can't do that. For a guy that had 56 stolen bases, that's pretty incredible, because that probably means he stole a base every time he was on base. It
1: means but, he got, like, four or five at-bats every game and made the most of it, yep. even though he wasn't getting on base.
0: So Wong made, you know, 249 average, 12 homers, 42 rabies, 20 steals. He might finish third, maybe fourth, depending on how you view guys like Darno or somebody like that, but... And you nervous Solarte is probably going to get votes. And and I would assume he goes to the National League because it's where he finished, but he's going to get some votes, which is pretty impressive for a guy who is a twenty seven year old minor league free agent the Yankees brought in on a flyer. It's a pretty impressive rookie season for Solarte. All right, that wraps up that awards. Real quick, NFL, because it's part of our podcast, and starting next week it's probably gonna be a good chunk of our podcast. Uh, last week I was five and eight on my picks. I stunk. Uh, Tom Brady and your boy Joe D. Breeze. Willie. Tom Brady and Drew Brees really disappointed me. Um, seven. By I, the way, we, I'm, I am at least correctly picked against my Eagles. All right, seven so and I six. That? Sorry, I, I I'm
1: bummed we didn't start this in week one, but we'll we'll keep track and we'll remind you that we started it in week four. But
0: yeah, uh, we'll just say we were 24 and 24 in the first two weeks and go with that. Uh, th- uh, so this yeah, week, I prefer to do it uh, individually. Okay. Actually, so this week, uh, go ahead. What do we got?
1: All right. Yeah, I was kind of the moderator for this last time. Yeah,
0: I think this is your segment. Uh, take that me.
1: Minnesota and Green Bay.
0: Uh, Green Bay. Minnesota looked really good. Well, let me say, they sounded really good in what I was listening to driving home from Fenway Park on mm-hmm. Sunday. But uh, Green Bay also sounded really good against Chicago, and it's at Green Bay. So i got to go Green Bay.
1: Yeah, I'm going Green Bay as well. Houston at Dallas.
0: Still don't think Houston is as good as their record says. Dallas impressed me a lot last week, and if DeMarco Murray can get anything going against J.J. Watt, That's Dallas.
1: Yeah, Dallas wins. Uh, I know we're both bummed about that. Uh, Buffalo at Detroit.
0: Buffalo benched EJ Manuel. Very funny that listening to Joe and Evan on the way into work today, how Evan was off on a rant that EJ Manuel has better numbers than Geno Smith, and the Bills are in a better situation than the Jets, and they're benching their guy and... And, and I I'd
1: say this all the time: um, if you're not in a good team and you're a quarterback that gets drafted, it, it's yeah. a no-win situation. Detroit. What, what, do you, what can you do?
0: Detroit won without Megatron making much of an impact last week on the road at MetLife, at home against Buffalo. I gotta go Detroit. As me as
1: well. Cleveland at Tennessee.
0: Uh, I'm gonna pick that game to be a zero-zero tie. <laughs> Uh, Cleveland, Tennessee is a disaster.
1: I went with Cleveland as well. Uh, Baltimore at Indianapolis.
0: Uh, Steve Smith's not playing a revenge game. Andrew Luck is fantastic at home. Andy.
1: All right, we're we're the same so far. Tampa Bay at New Orleans. That does not need answering. Um,
0: <laughs> New Orleans doesn't lose at home.
1: Atlanta at the New York Giants.
0: Uh, I'm picking your G-men. I'm Atlanta's well. defense looked. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Sounded awful against a team that has no wide receivers and was playing mad Asiata. And Teddy and a rookie quarterback, and they got torched.
1: You have a DVR function on your cable? I do. You should start DVRing Red Zone if you have it, or DVR uh, Football Night in America. That's what I do sometimes when I'm not home on and Sundays. Just watch all the, all I watch it. all the highlights. I have a
0: feeling the final score of that game is going to be like 42-35 to 35 again, but, yeah, I'm going with the Giants at home.
1: By the, I'm just saying, you know, if you want to go 7-6... and six, that's the kind of things okay. you need to do. It's right. the kind of work you need to put in.
0: They're right. I see what um, you're doing there.
1: <laughs> St. Louis at Philadelphia. I don't need your answer on that. I'm picking Philly as well. Uh, Chicago at Carolina. Carolina is a disaster. They are a disaster. They're a disaster. They're a sneaky disaster. They're
0: a sneaky disaster. And I think their starting running back next week is uh, me. So I'm going to go with Chicago.
1: I'm trying to pick up that guy. I don't even know his name on fantasy. He's my w- number one waiver priority, but I'm not going to get him.
0: Uh, DePez De Poopsie. You've yeah, seen that like, Key Appeal sketch, yeah, right? something can, like uh, that.
1: Uh, uh pittsburgh at jacksonville uh
0: pick against the jags until they win
1: yep okay so we have made every single pick the same so far
0: and i'm gonna guess at least three out of the last five were the same
1: oh what a bummer arizona at denver <laughs> even though arizona's three and 0 you're gonna laugh like that
0: uh, denver at home yeah i i can't denver at home coming off i know arizona is too but denver at home coming off a bye
1: yeah okay new york jets at san diego <laughs> oh man, I thought uh, I thought one of us was going to pick the Jets, but no. I picked San Diego as well. Uh, Kansas City at San Francisco. I'm actually going Kansas City. Mm, okay, so that's what's gonna that's the make or break game.
0: Here's 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 why I'm picking Kansas City. Last night, and I was standing when they torched the the Pats at Arrowhead. I know they're on the road. San Francisco's defense is decent. San Francisco's offense is very inconsistent. The Eagles scored 21 of their points on the defense taking advantage of Kaepernick and Darren Sproles torching their special teams. Kansas City's got a couple of pretty good special teamers. Uh, Their return guys are pretty good, and their defense is pretty good too. So if they can have the Philadelphia didn't win last week because their I did watch that game. I DVR'd it. Philly didn't win because their offense didn't show up. If Kansas City's offense shows up, and with Niall Davis having the confidence with Jamal Charles back there, I, I think they can do it.
1: Yeah, I think San Fran snuck away with that win. Like They didn't necessarily beat the Eagles. The Eagles kind of beat themselves. Yeah. But uh, I'm going with San Francisco because I think they'll have kind of a comeback game. They're at home. I don't want to bet on a, on a team as good as the potential that San Francisco has. Um, at home, I, I don't want to go with it. These two next ones, actually, the second one isn't interesting, but the first one is Cincinnati at New England. Who you got coming off a of bye, Cincinnati? Yeah, me too. Um, Tom
0: Brady looks. Tom Brady looks old.
1: Yeah, he looks a little old.
0: There's, he's he's gotten to the point you always say about Aaron Rodgers, where you know he doesn't have the greatest weapons, but he makes the most of them. Tom Brady's done that for a long time, but he doesn't look like he can do that anymore. And their running game is. I don't even think they know who their running back is on any package at any given point. It's Ridley. It's Vereen. It's somebody, it's
1: both. I'm sure our fans are sick of hearing me saying this, but it's the big guys that matter. And right now, the offensive line in New England is terrible. Mm-hmm. And Tom Brady is not getting any protection whatsoever.
0: And Cincinnati has a pretty good front seven. So. Yeah,
1: Cincinnati's just the best all around team in the NFL right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Seattle at Washington. I think we're both they can going play that to game on the
0: moon, and I don't think the Redskins are going to win. Yeah. All right. So we have one opposite pick: Kansas City, San Fran.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to think if I could, like, right now surprise you by going with another team just to make it a little more interesting. But um,
0: How about we make it interesting in this way? Uh, Sunday night – it's a Sunday afternoon game. Monday's lunch. You and I, we're getting lunch on Monday. Team who wins, the loser pays.
1: Well, what's to say we both – oh, yeah, that's right. We both can't
0: be right. We both can't be right. You have San Francisco, I have Kansas City. So we'll say if Kansas City wins, you buy me lunch on Monday. If San Fran wins, I buy you lunch. Okay. Done. With that, we're at an hour. This is the longest edition of the Yes Men ever. Yeah, thanks for
1: listening. We just we had a lot to talk about today. It so.
0: was a jam-packed show, as Doug said, and next week's show will be a lot less jam-packed because now that we've got the Yankee season out of the way, it'll be a lot of NFL. Hockey season starts uh, next week, I believe, so we'll get into a little bit of Ranger stuff. Uh, I'm working on lining up a potential guest for that. Uh, it's our old friend Seth Rothman. There's no spoilers there, uh, and we'll see what uh, we'll see what comes out. But until then, he's Doug. I'm Lou. We're the Yes Men. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.